notes and, and just follow along this morning. We're continuing our series uh, that we started a while back on David. And uh, we've come to a pivotal point again in his life. And uh, we're going to be reviewing just a little bit this morning and then we'll go on to some new material. Um, but let's pray. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to share your word and uh, where the rubber meets the road in our lives this uh, July of 2013. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. I heard about a mom. There was a mom who had two mischievous boys. They were very mischievous boys, and they were always getting into trouble. Somebody told me that it was, you could say it was almost like, like a Bob and Greg Armstrong when they were boys. I, heard, I understand that they were very mischievous as well. Anyway, there were two boys. They were very, very mischievous, and, and they were always involved in everything. And uh, so the mother didn't know what to do. And finally she said, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take each one of you at a time, one at a time, to see the pastor. So she went to the pastor's office. She brought the oldest son in, and they were sitting down. And the pastor said to the, said to the oldest boy, he said, uh, Son, where's God? Where is God? And the little boy, he sat there silently. He didn't say anything. A second time, the minister asked, Son, where is God? A third time, he asked, Where is God? And that boy bolted. He got right up out of the seat. He ran out of the pastor's office, and he ran home, and and he said to his younger brother, he said, God is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> That's corny. I know it's always corny. <clears throat> accusations, accusations, accusations. Saul, in his heart, accused David of plotting against him. Saul, in his heart, accused David of plotting against him, of, of trying to take over his job of being king. And Saul, as a result, grew extremely jealous of David. Do you remember the song and dance that we talked about last week in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, as recorded there? We read in Scripture that all the people, especially the women, this little ditty, this little song spread throughout the entire kingdom of Israel, and all of a sudden Saul heard it for the very first time. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And this little song went all over the place, as I said. And finally Saul heard it. And as a result, Scripture says, Saul did a slow burn in his stomach. He Fear and paranoia gripped his mind. Hey, I've got a problem on my my hands, he said. I've got a, I've got a, a, a giant killer that perhaps is going to become a king killer one of these days. And this hatred and this jealousy of David increased and grew and grew until one day while David was playing the harp and singing these beautiful songs, trying to calm the evil spirit that Saul was possessed with, Saul picked up a spear and threw it right at David, tried to pin him against the wall and tried to murder him. And this happened once, it happened twice, and happened three times, and finally David got the message, this guy's trying to kill me. And he took off, and he began to flee. And David enters 
the darkest time in his life. He goes from the pinnacle. Can you imagine the pinnacle of success, the pinnacle of adulation, the pinnacle of a rock star status, of a Hollywood movie star status. He was the number one guy in the kingdom. He goes from that pinnacle of success down into the valley of being a fugitive. He was on the run. And uh, he lost, as I said last week, he lost his job. He lost his position. He lost his pedigreed wife. He lost his best friend in the whole world, Jonathan, and he lost his self-esteem and he lost his personhood and he lost his self-worth. When we left the champion, the giant killer, he was, remember, dribbling saliva down his face, scribbling on the doorposts of the city of Gath, the headquarters for his enemy, the Philistines, and they all thought he was nuts. They all thought he was crazy and he was doing it to preserve his life. And later that night or the next day, he slipped away out of Goth. And once more, he becomes a man on the run. Notice where he ends up. I want us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, one more time. David left Goth and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Another translation says, David departed from there and escaped to the large underground cave of Adullam. Now, I have not, I've not been in Grant County that long, and I, I don't know if there are any large underground caves around. I do jog out Highway 26 past Dog Creek Road, and I look up there, and there's a rock cropping up there, and there's lo- there looks like there's a large opening, like there might be a cave up there someplace. I don't know if any of you have ever been inside of that particular area. But we're talking about a large cave, and he is called Adullam. And this was the lowest point of David's life up to that point. He had lost everything. He had lost his family again. He had lost his wife. He had had lost his relationship. He had lost his best friend. He had lost his self-respect. He had no security. He had no food. He had no one to talk to. He had no promises to cling to, no hope that anything would change. At any moment, the king, with all of his Israelite army, would come toward David and was trying to slay him, trying to murder him, trying to kill him. David said to Jonathan, I'm only one breath away from death. And he's done, and he's alone in this dark cave. And everything and everybody he loved has been stripped away except for the Lord. Now, if you really want to know how David felt, he wrote a couple of psalms and songs while he's in this dark cave. Psalm 142. Let's look at this one more time. He says, I I cried out to the Lord. I I lift my voice up to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I I I tell him all my troubles. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know the way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a stare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Circle that if you like to circle. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from the prison that I may praise your name. You heard that. David, in that dark, dank, lonely cave, said, 
I don't know a soul on earth who cares for my soul. I, I, I am brought very, very low. Deliver me, Lord. You can, you can just feel the, the, the passion. You can feel the ethos. You can feel the emotion. You can feel the loneliness. You can feel the dampness. You can feel the, David's despair. There's no escape. There's nothing left. I mean, who could have written, uh, so to speak, a better Hollywood script? And, but this is real life. Being a person after God's own heart does not mean that you won't have losses in your life. And it doesn't mean that you won't find yourself in a cave at times. And it doesn't mean that perhaps you won't lose your job, downturn economy, or that your spouse won't walk out on you one of these days, or that you won't have health problems. We all have losses in life, relationships, finances. Some of them are real, and some of them are perceived. A perceived loss is where you're waiting in the doctor's office, and you don't know the outcome of the test, and you imagine all kinds of things. That's a perceived loss. It's not real, but it's perceived until you know what the doctor actually is going to say. After 9-11, while pastoring our church in Southern California, and we had a growing, going church. Things were going great. And we decided to do this major outreach to the community. And we raised thousands of dollars. And we advertised. And we um, did direct mailers. And we did the radio announcements. And we invited the Hollywood Christian movie star Kirk Cameron to come and speak and share his testimony. The guy who starred in uh, Fireproof and all those Tim LaHaye series movies that they made as Buck. And so that particular morning, we rented a large auditorium, and uh, we didn't know what to expect. We had a couple hundred people in our church, and we wanted to rent this auditorium in case we doubled them out. And hundreds of people began to come in that particular morning. Many of them were unchurched people right after 9-11, and they didn't know. They were upset, and everything was all topsy-turvy. And it was a beautiful, beautiful worship service. And Kirk Cameron shared a beautiful testimony. And I got up to preach. And those of you who have ever preached a message, you can relate to what I'm talking about. It was flat. It was flat. I began to ramble. I began to struggle. Um, and um, it was too long. I lost my place. I stumbled around. People were going restless. Finally, I cut it short. And we gave an invitation, and there were people that responded. But for weeks and even months afterward, I entered the black cave of depression and discouragement and hopelessness and helpless because I felt like I had been such a failure. I really wasn't, but that was my perspective. We all have real or so-called imagined losses. And according to Psalm 142, it's in this cave, first of all, that David literally heard enough. He heard enough to admit his need. He heard enough to admit his need. David openly and honestly is revealing his raw emotions and he's revealing his true 
feelings. There's no beating around the bush. He is saying, Lord, no pretending. He got really honest before God and he said, Lord, this is exactly what's happening in my life. There are enemies all around me. Saul is pursuing me. And if you don't rescue me, I'm one hair breadth away from dying. He got really honest before God. He said in Psalm 142, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint. I declare my troubles to him. He wrote this psalm while he was in that cave. Where else do you go? God is big enough. And he's got big enough shoulders and arms, so to speak, that we can jump right into his arms and he will catch us. David in this particular emotional state, he cries out to the Lord and he's asking for deliverance. And it's here that we catch sight of the very heart of this young man. The inward place that God only sees. You see, it's in the very case of life when often things are stripped away that God steps in and intervenes in our lives. I was watching that movie based upon J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Return of the King. Peter Jackson made those movies, directed those movies, and in those particular movies, in, in The Return of the King, there's one scene where they're at uh, a place called Minas Tirith, and there was uh, Gandalf, and there was one of the little um, hobbits, I believe it's Pippin. And if you can imagine all the... All the enemy of Mordor has been released. All of this hellish group of people and individuals and ugly monsters and everybody's been released against this and they've been beating against this place, this stronghold and Minas Tirith and it is right before they're run over and there's a moment of pause there and Pippin says, is this it? He says, is this all there is? Is this it? Is this all there is? And Gandalf responds in my paraphrase. He says, no. Hope is just right around the corner. Hope is just on the distant shore. I'm telling you, when you're in the midst of all the stuff and all the crap and everything that's happening in life, Everything within you says, throw in the towel, give up. Just, you know, just run off. There's no hope, it's hopeless. And, 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 and here is David, he's feeling this, and he thinks it's curtains. He's in this dark, dank cave, and he's reached bottom, and, and, his, and his enemy is against him. The whole Israelite army is against him. And he, gets, he, he, he sings this song to God, and he realizes that it's an opportunity just to start anew. The second thing I want you to notice in this particular situation that David finds himself, David was honest enough. David was honest, honest enough to cry for help. He was honest enough to cry for help. He hurt enough to admit his need. And second, he was honest enough to cry for help. In other words, you've got to be very, very specific with your prayer request. You've got, to know, you've got to know exactly what you want. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Jesus said, seek, knock, and ask, and the door will be opened to you. You have to be very, very specific. 
And in the midst of this, and in the pain and the problem and the loss, David tells the Lord what he want, wants him to do for him. I want you to look at Psalm 57, verses 1 through 5, one more time. Psalm 57, 1 through 5. This was also written in that particular cave. Psalm 57, 1 through 5. Look at it with me. He says, Have mercy on me, God. O God, have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends me from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are like spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. I'm surrounded by all of these people, my enemies. Their teeth are like um, spears. They are pursuing me. They're hotly after me. I've got all these losses. I'm one breath hair away from, from death. And he says, rescue me, Lord. That's his prayer. Some of the most spiritual prayers that we can ever pray is, Help me, God. Help me, God. And in the midst of all this, all the stuff that's going on, where he feels like throwing in the towel and all these people are, all, Saul's pursuing him, the army's pursuing him, and he's faced all these losses, then a miracle happens. It's an absolute miracle. We read about it in the second part of um, verse uh, chapter 22. But look at it with me one more time. Uh, verse 2. Notice, excuse me, the second part of verse 1. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And notice verse 2. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontinued are gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. David is alone. He's in this dark, dank cave. He's feeling all these major losses. He's crying out specifically, God, God, I want you to rescue me. I want you to rescue me. I want you to help me. And all of a sudden, guess who shows up? His father, his father, the same father who totally forgot about him when the prophet came before his father. The prophet said, don't you have any more sons? And Saul and, and, and uh, David's father scratched his head and goes, well, I think I got a son that's a teenager out in the fields with the sheep. The same brother and brothers who got on David and scolded David because David was bold enough to say, Hey, I'll face that giant. Who does that giant think he is? And his brother scolded him for that. They said, who are you, an arrogant whelp or something, to think that you could fight, face Goliath? God, through some sort of underground guerrilla network or whatever it may be, let his father and his father's household and all his brothers show up at the very place where Kate, David thinks he's alone and all by himself, God heard his prayer and his family shows up. And then not only that, I want you to notice who else shows up. Look at verse 2 with me. All those who were in distress, if you like to circle, distress or in debt, circle the word debt, or discontented, all those three D words, that's important, gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Now, 
David, again, is broken. He has at the end of himself. He's experiences all these losses. And he has these particular people. And it says, everyone who was in distress. And it's interesting because the Hebrew word means zok. And it not only means distress, but under pressure, under stress. Another word is duress. And then it says, everyone who was in debt made their way there. And the Hebrew word is nashas, which means to lend on interest, to have a number of creditors. There were people who could not pay their bills that showed up in the cave with David. And third, it says, here comes everyone who was discontented. Translated means those people who have been wronged and those people who had been mistreated. Evidently, Saul had been mistreating a lot of people. There are a lot of people who could not make ends meet. There are a lot of people who financially could not make it. There are a lot of people who are discontented with Saul. And as soon as they found out through the underground guerrilla network that David was in the cave by himself, God heard his prayer and 400 men, it says 400, we're talking about men, that's not counting their wives and that's not counting their children, showed up in this cave. And all of a sudden David is inundated with his family and he's inundated with all of these potential warriors. And you say, Pastor Ron, what are you talking about? What's going on here? Did you know that those 400 men became David's trusted advisors? Those 400 men became his military leaders. Those 400 men became his cabinet members. They became like a unit, closer than blood, so to speak. A fighting army. And David shaped this ragtag group of discontented, malcontented, people that owe debt, group of individuals, and they became his foundation. They became his rock, so to speak. God answered David's prayer in that cave with all these people that showed up. And, and this leads me to my third point I want to share with you this morning. David was humble enough to learn from God. David was humble enough to learn to God. You see, this turn of events, this turn of events was God's new chapter in David's life. This turn of events was, was God's new chapter in David's life. And David was humble enough to see it. Now listen, when we're facing loss and everything's stripped away from us and we've, we've lost our job, we've lost a family member, our wife has left us, we've lost our health or whatever it may be, we all have those feelings uh, we have those uh, dis- dis- disconcerting feelings where God's uh, turned his back on us, God's given up on us, whatever it may be. We feel hopeless. We want to throw in the towel. But in the, listen, in the dark caves of life, it's in the dark caves of life where all of a sudden in those dark, dank places, in those moments of despair, that God is beginning to do something new. God's beginning to do something new because this door is closed and now another door is open for David. What seemed so dark and dank and disconcerting to him all of a sudden became a cave of hope and an opportunity for hope. A hiding place, you might want to say, that David and his army came. And David named this group of people the mighty men of valor. Remind me of Gideon when the angel said, you're a mighty man of valor. God's made something good of the bad. You guys remember a number of years ago when Corey Ten Boom wrote the book, The Hiding Place. Remember Corey Ten Boom, that little Dutch lady? She and her family members 
were hiding, helping hundreds of Jewish people in their Dutch neighborhood, in their small Dutch house. Hundreds of Jewish people were passing through. Because, you know, the Nazi regime, they were murdering. They murdered millions of Jewish people. And they were helping people. And they had a hiding place in the top of their house. And they, they helped hundreds and hundreds of people until one night, all of a sudden, somebody whispered in the Gestapo's ears about what was happening. And they came in and they arrested Corey Tinboom and they arrested their father and mother and the rest of their family and they threw them into the prisoner of war camps and she ended up at Ravensbrook. She said that she had no place to hide no place to hide in the midst of all that. But she discovered that God became her hiding place. Her hiding place. David also suffered undeserved persecution, bringing him to one of the lowest, most desperate points in his life. And like Corey Tinpum, David found a hiding place in the dark, damp cave of Adullam, and there David saw the light of God's deliverance. Would you bow your heads and let's pray this morning, please?